All right. Hey, welcome to You Talking with Greg. I'm here with Alex Ebert, um, a rock star and a philosopher uh, and uh, a musician well known for, uh, was it Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros? Uh, unbelievably yeah. creative guy. He's won a Golden Globe. He's been on Stephen Colbert. I'm in the presence of greatness, folks. So uh, it's a it's a wonderful <laughs> thing. And uh, um, so and we, he and I met up on Alexander Bard's list. He's got some really brilliant ideas uh, about emergence and quality quantity, freak theory. We'll get into all that shit. Uh, but hey, Alex, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. I've been really enjoying. Uh, yeah, everything you've been posting and talking about and um, your vitality for the whole thing, it's been really inspiring. Oh, thank you so much, friend. Yeah. So, uh, and your you willingness, know. your willingness, I should say, to be creative also, by the way, mm. uh, the, the picture behind you. Not everybody, yeah. makes, not everybody makes a garden the centerpiece of their uh, philosophical, <laughs> you know, endeavor. But I, you know, and yeah, I just, I, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, man, there's a reason that I was in the heart of the academy, and now I hang out on Alexander Bard's list, so it's an interesting uh, journey in that regard. Not everybody in the academy uh, thinks this way, uh, but I believe it's really the key to the future, and that's why I really, I get so much more uh, enlivened uh, opportunities to hang with you guys in that way. So, so let's talk a little bit about your history, How to, you know, musician, philosopher, uh, lots of interesting stories there to get to. So yeah, let's start um... By the way, okay, you see that blue stuff right there? Oh, yeah, I do, uh-huh. Okay. I just want to let your audience know that I'm, I didn't just eat a blue whale. I, um, I, I, I took this stuff called methylene blue, which mm. has stained mm -hmm. my teeth. But I think it's kind of cool, so I left it. Ah, um, anyway, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, so um, in 2002... You know, okay, let me give you a little backstory as a, as a psychologist or a psychic, well, what do you call yourself? A psychiatrist? Psychologist? No, I'm a, definitely a psychologist, uh, so I, into the science of psychology, but I'm a clinical psychologist, so I do the practice. I noticed that your, was your dad a psychotherapist or something yes. on that line? Yes. Yeah? Oh, yeah. He was um, a psychodrama. Okay. Uh, psychotherapist back in yep. the sort of 70s Esalen inspired, mm. um, and he had his office above my... Uh, my family room above the huh. den he built an office and he had it like completely saturated with foam so that no sound could get out because yes. the whole premise of his work was basically screaming right um and he had these batakas these swords he would have his clients hit him with and he'd say i'm your father what do you want to tell me and i'd hear like from a right. And I'd be like five years old, like, what the fuck does my dad do for a living? What is this? And he would, I would hear him come down after work, open the door, slam it, and he'd come into the living room just like fucking pissed. <laughs> he'd just be, uh oh, okay, there. He'd be so upset. And my, and I read a story later, I think by Flannery O'Connor called The Sin Eater. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if it's Flannery O'Connor, it might be someone else. And mm -hmm. um, it's about this. Well, you know, I was only mm -hmm. like 13, but the way I remember it is someone who's always listening to someone else's problems. Right. And they eventually eat so much of it that they're just sort of full of that fucking sure. energy. Yeah. And um, 
So anyway, that's sort of what I lived with growing up most okay. of the time. Gotcha. Um, with that sort of energy, I, I learned how the, the, the power of expression, but I also um, got this sort of like, you know, ancillary non-benefit of, uh, of anger. Mm. So anyway, when I'm like 15 and I hate school, I'm not, I, I say school is bullshit. I won't, I won't study anything. And I hear my dad uh, tell my mom that um, I'm not uh, a scholar. I'm not, hmm. uh, I'm not, I'm not a thinker. Okay. Um, he was a straight A student and all this yep. stuff. And, and he's hmm. like, you know, we should send him away to uh, work with his hands. He should huh. go to, uh, to, um, I don't know, some sort of like mm -hmm. carpentry Carpentry, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. um, like an apprenticeship, very European sort of mindset at age 15. <laughs> I took such umbrage with this. I was so deeply offended because in my mind, I had a whole sort of scientific rigor to why I didn't give a shit about school. I was, I was confident <laughs> that, that it was a waste of my time, but yeah. I had reason. And I was so offended that since that day, I basically started being like, fuck this, I'm gonna show my dad ah. that I'm a genius. You know ah. what I mean? So I got, some, I got some stories like that in my own background, Fred. That's fascinating. Yeah. 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 So yeah. ever since then, I started being basically an autodidact. I, I never really felt like I learned from school, but I started reading and I started uh, inventing shit. And, um, you know, I became a musician and, and mm -hmm. and a painter and stuff. So everything was sort of creative and some sonic and visual and conglomerate of sort of, uh, you know, creative activities. But one of the things that I really liked messing around with was um, math, essentially, but not, not any kind of math that anyone would recognize yeah. as math, but rather sort of, um, I would think about things and paint them down and make mm. images of yeah. them and, and whatnot. And one of the things that I really really sort of landed on was this math called magnetic zeros. Okay. And, um, and it was a math where zero was magnetic and I would paint these sort of like linear numeric uh, sort of horizontal x-axis and I'd have zero in the center and then I'd have this pendulum essentially. Mm -hmm that would swing across zero depending on the magnitude of zero. And so I had this sort of sense of the, the, these orders of magnitude. Uh, mm -hmm. Zero was not zero, there's no absolute zero, but rather relative zero, right? Right, So right. I started thinking about this idea of magnetic zeros and this pendular activation. And I'm like, you know, that's a great name. And at the same time, I was writing this novel about this guy named Edward Sharp, who was sent mm -hmm. down to earth from outer space to, uh, to save the world. And he had this superpower, which was being able to see everything as strings. Mm. And I didn't know about string theory yet, huh. but he was able to play the strings and create chords and music and yada. And I would start jotting down what these strings looked like. And a friend of mine said, you know, you really should, there's this thing called string theory you need to get into. So this is 2004. Right. I went to Barnes and Noble, or no, yeah, it was Book, book Star or something mm -hmm. like that. They, they, they don't <laughs> exist anymore. Mm, and I walked in. And I was like into meditation. So I'm meditating. I just walk in, I go up to this, I see science. So I go up there, yeah. but then blindly, I just reach for a book, pull it out, Lee Smolin, Three Roads to Quantum Gravity. I love like, that book. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a great book. 
So I don't know what quantum gravity is. I, I was like, okay, this doesn't sound necessarily exactly like what I'm looking for. I open it up to a chapter literally titled, The Sound of Space is a String. Yeah. And then I open up to the next page and it's drawings that are almost identical to my drawings. So then I'm hooked on physics and I suddenly get for the first time the sense that like, oh shit, I'm onto something. Totally. And, and that, that sense of sort of like a zeitgeist sync up, there's nothing, there's nothing that, uh, that gives more confidence than that in my mind. I love that. And, you know, and I, get, I get that from you, like mm -hmm. that you're working mm -hmm. on the things you're working on, that you've been working on them for so long. You know, when I hear your story, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, it's confirmation. Um, so anyway, I had this idea kicking, but then I got into the band. <laughs> let me, let me pause you right that. there for just a second, yeah, okay, yeah. in terms of the, the deep synchronicity on some of this. So um, yeah. just in terms of magnetic zero, folks, I'll, I'll give you a, a, how potentially cool of an idea this is uh, from a side angle. So when I, I was reading about the energy content of the universe, I was reading one of Stephen Hawking's things. It's like, well, actually it's zero, um, the energy content of the universe. So I'm like, Wait, wait a minute! Is everything like? And then I was like, the answer is well, because of the negative positive charge. Uh, the bottom line is, although there's certainly some issues about why what's called leptogenesis and why we get more matter than antimatter, and there's some curiosities about that. But basically, you can think about the energy of the universe as a positive negative charge around which cancels itself out and then affords you zero. So the the entirety of the universe can be framed in relationship to a magnetic zero, friend. <laughs> yeah. And I had, you know, I had that sense. And I remember when NASA, um, I really do look crazy with this, but okay. Um, but I remember, just remember I was in a punk rock, a post-punk yep. band for like most of my life. My favorite video of me is jumping off the stage, diving into a dumpster, bringing out all the trash and then handing out the trash to the crowd <laughs> at Santa Claus. So this is me then. Um, but so, my, um, oh, oh, so NASA later, like three years later tweeted out, we calculated the wind pull on Mars or something like that. And it was something to do with gravity. It was something like gravitational wind pull. I, I don't I didn't understand it. And we call the math magnetic zeros. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that, Edward Chun? And I was like, okay, so finally my equation has some, you know, uh, function. And even though it wasn't the function I envisioned. And, um, and I was happy enough with that. Well, you gotta be happy uh, with not get a yeah, NASA I'm, tweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I set them up, they knock them down, you know? So then I, I, I'm, I'm thinking more about, so, okay, so now you gotta understand what I'm doing most of my life at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in front of a computer, looking at waveforms. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm doing for like, that's like what I'm doing 80% of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in front of computers, mixing and recording digital waveforms. Mm -hmm. Representations of digital waveforms, right? Or mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. waveforms digitizations of waveforms and everyone's seen this it's the logo for soundcloud it's the everyone's seen these waveforms you've seen mm -hmm. what audio looks like because now it's sort of a meme now mm. what started happening around the time of my first band i'm a robot is that these loudness wars started beginning and the loudness right. wars were started off in 1999 by rick rubin mm -hmm. and uh well they had been going on so 1930 the first compressor is invented, is invented, uh, or sorry, 1937. 1940, they started using it, Abbey Road, you know, they're in lab coats. Like back then, they're very serious about it. They're scientists when they're recording and they're using compression. Now what they're doing with the compression is taking a waveform and expanding it within the membrane of the tape or of the mm -hmm. vinyl. 
right? So you have these grooves and you have like large peak dynamics and then you have these valleys and you have massive amount of dynamism. But when it gets quiet, it gets really quiet. When it gets loud, it gets maybe too loud. So you don't know where to put your volume and all these sorts of problems. So they start limiting, but then they start pumping volume into that limitation. And that brings the valleys up to the peaks. Hmm. You cut to 1999 and compression had gone digital and it became so powerful that you were able to lift the valleys all the way to the peaks. Wow. And you started creating what was, uh, what came to be known as a loudness effect. Okay. The loudness effect is essentially that you don't have more volume at your peak volume. You have more peak volume across time. Hmm. And so you have more mm -hmm. volume overall. So the effect, the experience is that you're listening to louder music. Mm. So, uh, for instance, you know, they do this with, with commercials. Commercials will come on and all of a sudden they seem much louder. Right, because right. There's, there's no dynamism. Hmm. Now, what Rick Rubin did with a, with a Red Hot Chili Peppers album called fucking Californication is he basically compressed every song such that if you look at the whole album, uh -huh. the waveform of all 10 songs or whatever it is, back to back to back, the only dynamism you'll see is in between songs. Huh. Everything else is a flat line. It's a thick flat line, uh -huh. but it's a flat line. And suddenly you had these loudness wars and other people are trying to be louder than them and they're trying to be louder than them. And I was in the middle of that with I'm a Robot. We actually hired like the loudness war master, um, whose name is escaping me right now, Chris Lord Algae. Mm. And, um, and he made our album like, you know, super loud. But if you look at the free, at the waveform, it's a flat line. Okay. Meaning it has no more dynamism. Meaning, if you think biologically, death. Mm. Also mm. meaning zero. Also mm. meaning a flat line also meaning silence. Mm. So suddenly I started to realize when I put all of this together right. and I'm staring at these waveforms, I start understanding that the compression <clears throat> or the expansion or the saturation of oscillations within a given limitation creates new floors. Now in, in music, we call silence the noise floor. You never get rid of it. Right mm -hmm. in in quantum mechanics, they call they call it quantum noise. Mm -hmm. L literally, everything is making a sound. Black holes hum at B flat. Mm. Um, atoms make a D note. Um, everything mm. is vibrating, oscillating. That you can't get rid of this thing. And yet, when I was looking at them, I'm like, okay, that's silence, but you can't ever get rid of it. You get the noise to floor ratio as best as possible. Mm. But then you're creating a new flat line. Now, what is that? It's making noise. We call it a song, but hmm. what is it really? Hmm. Because it looks like, at a distance, a new equilibrium. Now, right. I started thinking about this in terms of personal development, transformations of any kind. And I started realizing that this, this quantitative threshold mm -hmm. beyond which something becomes a flat line is something that I use all the time in my personal life. It actually also explains economic paradigm shifts. It explains all kinds of shit. It explains in some ways to me, the premise of emergence. And so then I started learning about Hegel and his introduction of the idea that a certain quantity of occurrence 
can yield at some arbitrary, not arbitrary, but distinct and relative quantitative threshold, a qualitative shift into right. something other. Right. And that this quantity uh, to quality relationship, we have enough quantitative elements mm -hmm. creating a, a, a density of relations, at, mm -hmm. as Whitehead would say, mm -hmm. yields that it's, it is precisely that density of relations that yields a qualitative, uh, a new qualitative shift. And, um, and so then suddenly I'm looking at these, these, um, these graphs of, of music compression mm. and I'm realizing that they mean much more than I had originally uh, considered. All and right. that instead of viewing, the, of course in music, I want dynamism. So at first mm. I came at this whole thing like that compression is bad, mm. it's bad. We, shouldn't, we should avoid that and we should create some sort of metastable oscillation of dynamism. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, that's the golden, that's what everybody, you know, that's like, mm -hmm. oh, the, 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 you know, the, the, the tribe over here, the idyllic yada yada, um, mm -hmm. was able to create sort of a metastable dynamism that never ended up collapsing into some mm -hmm. sort of emergence. And then another one where they ended up, or not emergence, but paradigm shift or however you phase shift. Kind um, of a yin yang again. dialectic. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then they have this sort of metastable oscillation. So at first I'm coming at, like, at this, like, these compressions are bad, mm. but I had to, after studying these things, and I guess I'll end here, after studying these things enough, I had to admit that the formation of new equilibriums is also the language of transcendence, mm. and that it's the language of my own personal development, mm -hmm. and that creating new zeros, mm. and these zeros would have different orders of magnitude because you create a zero here and it's your new equilibrium around which new oscillations can mm -hmm. happen. Mm -hmm. And then those oscillations have a density of relation. And then mm -hmm. you have another, a fatter, a, another zero, and then you create new uh, dynamisms on top of that. And so this was the pattern of development. And so finally I had to just sort of see this in the, I had to admit the truth of this across vectors let's say mm. and, and understand that uh, there's a certain natural principle mm -hmm. to the quantitative qualitative relationship um that is really powerful and, and that i that i can't deny um yeah so i'll leave it there beautiful hey man yeah, yeah so this is a to me you know i've been bouncing around the emergence uh literature for a long time uh, and, uh, you know, you talk and especially the tree of knowledge and periodic table behavior bring a particular angle on framing emergence, uh, but your stuff on framing emergence and the grass that you bring, uh, and the way in which you capture the qualitative quantitative distinction through those graphs, fucking rock as far as I was concerned, you know, um, and, and I've been using that and seeing that pattern in many, many different domains. So let me just, I'll just, so for people listening, they know that, Hey, the, uh, the basic metaphysics of the tree of knowledge is that we have these different dimensions that are operating at different frequencies in energy, matter, life, mind, culture, okay? Uh, and so immediately, if you just take what uh, Alex was thinking, think about sort of the oscillations of energy and they get then consolidated and, and saturated into a particular frame that basically becomes a zero um, that becomes at a new floor that becomes matter. Um, and then you can do that same thing from matter to life 
And you can do the same thing from life to mind and mind to culture in a, in a particular kind of way that I certainly hadn't seen before. Um, so I then saw a taxonomic uh, framing uh, undergirding a particular process of, of emergence that was totally new to me. Um, and it actually has massive resonance because, as you know, I fucked around with this thing called the iQuad coin. And ultimately, that creates a subjective mathematical relation that uh, probably I do math similar to you. I have these sort of intuitive structures. Um, but ultimately, this whole circular frequency sort of metaphysics into the um, frequency of behavior across levels and dimensions and the shifting uh, that you delineate across each one of those, it's just, across the floors, it's really fascinating and beautiful. So, I love hearing you talk about it like that, man. I mean, you know, to to, I knew that there every, I knew that there was resonance with what you were developing. Um, and and what's fun, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the iQuad coin, and and in a way, um, this stuff has like almost an absurd amount of uh, resonance with, with that, especially just the magnetic zero uh, concept of the sort of like, you know, the swing across zeros, which, you know, the, the I to the power of four, obviously, you know, creates this essentially like a circular uh, swing across zeros. And, and this, it's just amazing, you know, it's just, it's just beautiful that. Um, yeah, just for folks, I'll just hone I in on that. Uh, I'll hone in on yeah. that for a second. So the Iquat coin gets birthed out of the, um, you know, if you know the full history, it gets birthed out of the radical mathematical humanistic equation. And that's where I cr created a parallel between the Euler identity, which is negative one, and what I call the Henriquez equivalency, which is positive one. And it's negative one, positive one equals zero. Um, and it is that oscillation of, of really basically positive versus the void. And, and, I, and I see the universe mathematically through the positive void dialectic. And that actually has weird correspondences with some of the shit you talk about. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, because I mean, what's fun about this kind of shit is that you can get into, like, here's, we, you know, we just kind of went through the basic premise. And so I'm looking at these graphs and I'm like, okay. And then you can get kind of granular and it's like, okay, well, what, let's just say I stick with the idea of oscillations. Yep. Uh, because that's what I'm looking at and it's, it's waveforms and everything is vibrating. So why not? So I'm looking at the oscillations and I'm thinking about humans. And I'm like, well, why don't we just stay at zero? Why, why create even an oscillation? Why not just like be at total relation, mm. uh, be a being, forget the becoming and mm -hmm. just sort of be. Mm. Why this compulsion? What, com what compulses mm. us mm -hmm. to extend ourselves? What compulses matter even and, you know, like, I know this is where we'll diverge a little bit, mm -hmm. but what compulses matter to complexify? What? Gravity? What, like, okay, fine, but, like, what, what is that dialectic? And so when I get in close, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's just invert Hegel's sort of, like, affirmation, negation, negation of mm -hmm. negation, and, uh, and go with what I experience, which is, first, a lack. Something mm -hmm. about what I'm experiencing right now mm -hmm. lacks something. Mm -hmm. I sit here long enough, I get hungry. Mm -hmm. I lack food. I sit here long enough, I lack sex. I sit here long enough, I, lacked, I lack creative creativity. I sit here long enough, something happens and triggers an action. So I start with lack, and then I go to the positive, which is what? Desire. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'm going lack desire, lack desire. And that's going, you know, that that's getting compressed and compressed. And suddenly I end up at a zero. Okay. Well, that's, that's, you know, density of relations. That's one way. And then another fun way to think about it is, well, when I feel that lack, what happened preceding that? Mm. What happened just preceding the lack? Well, I, in my case, in a human's mm -hmm. case, we, we may have felt something, but right after that feeling, we may have also projected in our mm. mind the thing that we're missing. Oh, food. Mm. Oh, sex. Mm. Oh, creativity. Oh, more money or whatever the thing is. Mm -hmm. And so what happens to that projection? And so then I end up at a, at a theory of downward causation where by projecting the image of the lack mm -hmm. or image of the desire, mm -hmm. it creates a sort of placeholder for a futuristic magnetic zero mm -hmm. that lives out there because, you know, in the time-space <clears throat> continuum, there are a whole bunch of, of every whens. <laughs> you know, time has this sort of uh, existing quality across future and past, but whatever, yep. putting that aside, I project my desire. And then what happens to it? It aggregates my attention. And mm. the more attention I put on it, the closer I get to it. And the more attention I put on it, the closer I get to it. But what is that relationship between having a vision and getting closer to it? Is oh. it simply cause, is, is it simply a desire or is there a downward causal effect? Is that thing, that projection, pulling me? Is it itself aggregating gravitational force mm. and yanking me towards it? Mm -hmm. You know, when I think about storytelling and we think about um, mm -hmm. these narratives, it's like, you know, very often in paradigm shifts, the narrative is projected before the occurrence. Mm -hmm. Capitalism is a great example of that. Um, all, there's so many examples where it's like, I mean, communism, mm -hmm. where you, you project the, you, you write a book, you say, this is what it would look like. And then mm -hmm. it starts to aggregate attention. Now, the object becomes a sort of super object in, in, in a, uh, I mean, a, 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 you know, whatever, a, a meta object, anyway. mm -hmm. but a, um, mm -hmm. a, 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 a gravitational force seems to be occurring. And so there's, there's this idea, and that's where magnetic zeros comes in, is that in the projection or in the sense of lack, there's a downward causation that the zero, which is existing futuristically, is exerting on the present or mm. on its past and pulling us toward it. And, um, and so there's a lot of fun ways to start to pick this thing apart and examine the operations that yield really fun concepts. Totally. Do you, are you familiar yeah. with uh, Terence Deacon's Incomplete Nature by any chance? I'm familiar with Terence Deacon's, but I don't know that book. Okay, uh, it's actually here. It's a great book. Uh, oh, whatever, it doesn't fucking matter. It's not this one. And I should um, say, but, familiar with him by name. I, I okay. don't know. Uh, so, but anyway, uh, Incomplete Nature. Here it is. I knew it was right here. Um, I'll just throw it for people. It's a, okay. So this book starts with the idea. It's a 2010 book. Uh, he's an interesting theorist. Uh, he gets some controversy around him, but whatever. High level theorist. Um, it's about basically how matter generates life and mind, okay? Um, and he in, the book opens with the, it's incomplete, uh, whereby he had introduced the concept of um, abstentia. And abstentia is the absence yeah. that is entered into, at least at the level of living forms. We can dialogue when, when this would emerge, how in relationship to our early. But the entire thing of what you just said 
um, essentially is what is absolutely aligned and completely central to what he argues is the driving force and how yeah. we get essentially downward causation and why the early, really? certainly any reduction. Yeah, no, it's a abstention. Oh. Okay. Is the driving so, force. So, ab so abstention is basically related to, or the equivalency of, of what I was describing as the lack. Totally, and and yeah. not to, almost like identical, and it creates what he calls intentionality. E n, because yeah. he's trying to get out of it. The intentionality would be the desire in some relation, yeah. okay, yeah. that then pulls gravitationally. So you yeah. get that. The other thing I'll say in relationship to this is if we can circle back to it. Um, but in terms of my own experience, we talked about this crazy fucking garden behind me right okay so it's like i'm a goddamn academic i train my dad's a professor blah 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 i live in the whole world and then of course i build the tree of knowledge weirdly name it the tree of knowledge it grows and all this other stuff but really i get called and in, in 2016 i get fucking called and i'm i'm just doing this and people are like what are you doing you know who the hell turns your theory into a goddamn cartoon garden like that right okay so but here's the here's the deal then i learn about metamodernism Okay, and the artistic sensibility of metamodernism, sincere irony. All right, mm. I found that sincere, as soon as I saw those terms, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly the sensibility that I'm driving out here. It's, a, it's fucking cartoonish, it's weird in particular ways. There's a lot of irony. It's, you know, it's a par paradise garden tree of knowledge and I'm a pure scientist. I mean, it's all right. of this weird stuff and it's super sincere at the same fucking time. I mean, it's like math and science and blah, blah, blah. So. How the fuck am I pulled, okay, into some sort of cultural zeitgeist that I don't know anything about and am called to express some art that is captured by two damn words that consolidate what it was that I was trying to do without me knowing that I was trying to do it that way. It's a miracle to me. So like, so sort of like zeitgeist gravitational structure that I would get pulled into is yeah. very much, uh, at least at a sort of almost a spiritual level, um, this kind of feeling. So I, I, you know, I'm still trying to make sense out of this crap, but man, it's, there's something there. Very, very interesting. It's part of our, it's part of our experience. It's part of the experience of almost, you know, I mean, for me, it's the, it's the experience of every, every time I've had my, well, let me just put it the way. It's my most vital experience. Whenever I, whenever I sync up with someone about something that came to me, uh, seemingly, um, separately mm -hmm. you know there's a there's this feeling of imminent connectivity or of mm -hmm. just imminence that um you know especially in a in a society uh that is you know entirely based on sort of atomized siloism mm. and uh uh, and all of that like i remember growing up in the valley. i love that actually let's double click on that just for a second atomized siloism <laughs> yeah, sure. that's that's brilliant uh, because that is uh, you know uh, no that's a, it's a, the in fact this is this my, i want to inspire revolution the way the academy is organized we need to have a second enlightenment um or whatever the fuck we end up calling it but a fundamental change in the way we organize our knowledge and mm. part of what i'm up against uh, the reason I had to double click for a second, uh, part of what I feel like I'm up against is an institutionalized, atomized yeah. siloism. That's yes. what basically, um, that's the way we structured our specialized knowledge systems. Uh, and somehow we have to invert that thing. We got to create density and then flip that fucking thing. Uh, yeah. what, what's, the, uh, what's, the, um, what's the main hurdle to that? Obviously, like, like what, or let me, let me backtrack further. What, 
I mean, obviously, specialization has its obvious, uh, you know, um, but in the case of like sort of concretizing those specialization verticals um, and making them impermeable, what what is it? Is it is it just ideology, or is it is there something to do with economics there that's preventing that, or or, or it's just ego? What's going on? Well, in the context of absten of of a genuine absence of coherence and, and understanding. So yeah. and the basically the failure of Hegel, and maybe we need to return to Hegel in the right way, but essentially you put it this way, Hegel is seeing, hey, there's a way to organize absolute knowledge, absolute spirit. There is a way to structure our knowledge so that we have actually a degree of coherence, a degree of sense-making. We can evolve from the old, um, you know, mythic systems into a genuine spiritual knowledge structure, okay? That's what's, that, uh, that's afforded in the enlightenment until he overshoots and it's not quite right. And remember, Hegel didn't even know about Darwin. So, um, you know, he, the infrastructure, as brilliant as he is, and you get then the Nietzsche critique, basically, is, is predating this by a century. It's like this fucking metaphysical, it's a, it's a um, you know, boy pharaoh pillar saint <laughs> critique, Nietzschean critique to pull right. from Bard, okay? And it can't hold the specialized knowledge. It doesn't have the capacity. It doesn't have the balance between the unity and the pluralism that affords an effective dialectic. So essentially what happens is the, the center crashes. It's what I call the enlightenment gap, okay? And then you break up synthetic philosophy completely. And then you double down on the epistemological specialty portaling which is basically, hey, I'm going to now have a specialty. I'm going to drive into something. In fact, the entire field of psychology is built on the epistemological specialty of research knowledge, of particular knowledge of a topic, and the commitment. They tried to solve the problem. It's my whole passion. And they committed to the idea you never could. Okay. So they, and so now they teach you can't have a unified framework. Any kid that comes and tells you, hey, this is all disorganized, the first thing you pat them on the head and say, oh, of course, yes, we want unity. But that's an old Hegelian or whatever term you use. That's an old naive idea that what you actually do is you run out and you apply the scientific method, extract knowledge. And then what the big picture worldview is that organizes all the pieces of this is unbelievably weak and, and unbelievably vague and there is no messaging so you're just in complete imbalance then of economic structures to gain specialized knowledge down particular epistemological tunnels and that's what the, and then you have that enormous expertise and then everybody's like oh it'd be great if we could be organized and you'd never be able to do it if there's too much specialized knowledge you ever organize the the our blah 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 and so blah blah it just produces then a self-fulfilling prophecy that's now is at a saturated point and there's so much cost associated with no understanding, and they've overlooked so many possibilities to achieve an integrated center around this pluralistic investigation. That's what the metamodern sensibility is, actually. There is a fucking center here. The fact that we can come together and be like, hey, no, we're seeing shit. Different languages, different histories, but we're honed in on some goddamn reality through our particular epistemological portals. We should sync that up and help people understand that fucking thing. Um, but the academy right now would have to go through a radical transformation in every aspect of its structure if it was actually then. And the reason is because that becomes the epicenter of entry into the academy. So the, the, you would walk into the academy. That's what the whole point is. You walk in, little flower back there's a metaphysical empirical. Yes, actually, there's philosophy and there's science. There's the humanities. Here's a basic architecture of sense making. The system 
I mean, I hope if we invert it, the potential for it's great, but the resistance, the vacuum, uh, the structure of it is defined against it at almost every fucking level. You know, and the only, the only mitigating unity is the market. And so you end up having these, these, um, these verticals of the plurality uh, fighting over uh, allocations of funds. And so th th then it almost sort of becomes a real concretization of the, uh, of the, the partitioning. Yeah, it's... Um, totally. That's what I experienced that I dropped my theory in there. Uh, individually, I was like, Jesus, that's a really cool theory. But it doesn't then say, oh, here's where you do all the empirical research. It says actually back up, get, get consolidated knowledge through this lensing and realize that we're just building empirical sandcastles. We got to, but that would mean you'd undermine the entire reward grant institutional infrastructure, which is to produce new empirical data. So the entire exactly. system, that's why it's, it's like, it's top heavy on this economic incentivized. And the infrastructure's already, you know, sort of like took a left turn. And so now the system's just moving in a totally different direction, both on incentive and underlying ideological structure. So that's why you sort of got to come from the outside and be like, oh, fuck, we need an entire reboot. So then, so then economic incentive would have to be, do you think it would have to be part of the solution or can you, can you handle this strictly uh, ideologically uh, within the institution? I, you know, I'm, I'm much better in the world of theory. <laughs> You know, that's why I work by my fucking self. I, you know, I build a super cool theory. I can connect with people. The actual, I, we have to, for me at least, I, I, I got to know the limits of my expertise. The actual mechanisms to afford genuine systematic institutional change. What are the economic leverage? What are the marketing elements? What are the shortest line to transformation? Yeah. I've got notions about that shit, but actually we yeah. need to have, a, we need to try out lots of different stuff. You have to have people that are much more, uh, inclined towards actual movement change that are charismatic from the outside. You need to see a lot of different things happen. And uh, God so there, knows if there, I understand exactly what would be involved in it. Is there no, is there no sort of uh, official integrative vertical in academia in, uh, in the field? Like there's no, like you couldn't just form a, an integrative um, you know, and posture it as just, oh, it's just another pluralistic vertical, but actually it's the it's the sort of uh, integration of very, uh, multiple ones? Well, if uh, I believe that there's some potential, if the, the system has got to turn around and say, hey, this is what we have to believe in, and then you're going to get a lot of immediate resistance. You can obviously do that for small little things, but the, but the system will just continue on its titanic path. The, the question is whether you can actually harmonize the system around that vertical so they actually speak the same basic structure. Now, I believe that the, I mean, my whole point about the tree of knowledge is that matter, life, mind, and culture with an energy base affords a novel stacking that's consistent with the great chain of being that's actually embedded in, and I can update it with modern science. You actually do that, you get an updated modern big history. You see big history, big history is trying to do pretty good stuff. I believe that the conceptual infrastructure for the answer to that, that would afford that integrative force is present. But you need more than that. You need to be able to have the leaders figure out how to, you know, get, get six Ivy League presidents at Harvard and Yale, and, and then all of them yeah. come together and you say, hey, this is actually the institutional architecture we're gonna build our academy around in a particular way. You get, that happens, the College of Unit Presidents or, so, or whatever, University Presidents, right. you get some sort of you know, power broker structure, you know, delineating that kind of thing, you can get a change. But until that, it would just be a drop in yeah. the institutionalized bucket. 
I mean, I think that that's where emergence has its most power. Well, uh, uh, you know, one of its one of its effects would be to demonstrate the integration, especially you know, for instance. So in the in the freak theory uh, stuff that I was you know talking about, I I mainly went horizontal and, and showed you know with my hands right. you know, in equilibrium oscillations condensation, but then you have to scoot the frame over here and you see this new equilibrium that's fatter, new oscillations up, new equilibrium, scoot that over, it keeps going. And when you zoom out, you can see, for instance, you know, culture, mind, uh, uh, matter, life, mind, and stuff. You, can, you can actually see that. And once we start to see that this, you know, and that's, my, that's by the way why I insist on not simply depicting uh, large emergence or strong emergence, but I also like depicting how a pickle uh, is made. Um, how, how our food, uh, you know, we, we get hungry, we have a desire, we eat, we masticate, it goes into our stomachs, it gets digested, turns into chime or whatever it's called, mm. uh, comes out as shit. No, it, 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 gets, it gets compressed and congealed and, and all of these things compacted and you shit it out. We have to understand, I think, that, that there's relevance to patterns across vectors, that those patterns across vectors are not simply subjective faults, mm -hmm. but fucking clues that have been left to us. And that if we decide to ignore, like, you know, mm -hmm. the wisdom of ignorance is awesome, right? Because you can't go wrong. Um, and it's super attractive, but the great, I, I think it's in, incredibly uh, pessimistic uh, and non-courageous to negate the clues you do find, just because you might be afraid that they might be wrong because people have been proven wrong. It's like, you know, um, there's a certain distrust I have of out of hand distrust, right. um, you know, because I think it's just so incredibly safe. So anyway, my point being that um, that if we're able to show, for instance, the actual relation between these verticals in the plurality of academia, for instance, mm -hmm. and we can actually graph them or we can really uh, demonstrate them, then we automatically sort of re-permeate the membranes of these verticals so that they have to integrate. Yep. Otherwise, they're sort of, you know, willfully being ignorant. Uh, I, yeah, and I think there's real hope for that. Um, let me actually, I don't think we, I don't know that we really formally introduce freak theory, though. Uh, I think we talked a lot about oh, the yeah. components. Uh, so um, certainly, so I think we've introduced a lot of the components, but I want to make sure this is really one of the highlights of the, that. So let's just say, so freak theory, F-R-E-Q with a Q capital is the way I've seen you describe that. Um, yeah. So why don't we kind yeah. of just summarize, uh, we've already summarized its parts, but why don't we just consolidate so we know when we use that term, people are having a frame of reference. Sure, um, so I'd like to, uh, let's see, I'll, I'll describe it in two ways. The first way is I, I would primarily like people to think of it um, as a mental model, very simply, as a mental model for the quantitative qualitative relationship. That is to say, when things re reach a certain quantitative threshold, Let's say a cucumber reaches a threshold of enough vinegar saturation mm. that it becomes a pickle. Okay, mm. so anything where quantity has a relationship to quality. Um, you try and learn to ride a bike, you try, you try, you try, suddenly you know how to ride a bike. And as they say, you never forget how to ride a bike. You now are a bike rider. This relationship 
um, between, for instance, you know, the conglomeration of particles or from uh, cellular, uh, single cellular life to multicellular life. Um, these are, these represent sort of these interesting phase shifts where a certain addition of something Mm -hmm. create something different or like to quote Philip Anderson's seminal 1970 uh, paper, which essentially outlines emergence in the physical sense, more is different. Mm -hmm. And I should also say that in the reverse, less is different, mm. but I would call that re-emergence. Hmm. So you just take the graph, you flip <clears throat> it around and it's um, essentially a re-emergence because it's revealing equilibriums that mm. had subsisted beneath it all along. Gotcha. So that's basically freak theory. It's just a mental model in the simple sense. Mm -hmm. uh, I should say that's the freak model. I'll differentiate the freak mom I'm winging it here, but the okay. freak model <laughs> would be this very simple way to mentally model the relationship between quantity and quality. And very importantly, I guess the last thing is when you see these graphs, if you happen to go look for whoever's going to check them out, you'll notice that the new, con the, the new condensation, the new zero point, the new equilibrium subsists, meaning it continues through as the zero point for the next oscillations. Mm -hmm. And I depict that, so I sort of show that equilibrium disappearing into the next compression, but you have to always remember that each consolidation remains subsisting within the next consolidation so that you have this stacking effect. Um, and yeah, so that's in some ways the way I'd like people to think about it in the most basic sense. And then what I'd, what I'd love is for my, my dream in a way is for people to have that model in their minds and then explore for themselves uh, their own freak theory. What does oh. this mean? What does this mean in your own life? Now I have my own freak theory based on this stuff that I'm still developing. It's constantly evolving as I continue to meditate on these things. Um, but as I mentioned, um, one of them, uh, is called magnetic zeros mm -hmm. and magnetic zeros is a function of downward causation, meaning something that is stacked on top has a causal effect on something that preceded it or that is beneath it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in the stack of emergences yep. or developments. In this case, the downward causation is temporal, meaning it's going to affect us in the time we are in now from the future. Yep. This is caused by a mental projection of our lack mm -hmm. and desire. So, you know, I gave the example of food, whatever it is. Yep. I also believe in, in, in the magnetic zero model that matter itself, you know, I don't have, mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about substrate independence for consciousness I don't have to worry about all those things because I believe that all substance uh -huh. is already proto-conscious. It already uh -huh. has the essentials uh -huh. that in the right combination and complexity yield at a certain quantitative threshold beyond uh -huh. which yield consciousness, uh -huh. mind, etc. Uh -huh. So anyway, that's, that's something else to note, but that doesn't uh -huh. mean someone else has to feel that way and you know you can use the model to come up with your own. pluralism <laughs> yeah. Would, yeah, that, yeah would you describe that as panpsychism did you saw yourself as a panpsychist or did you have a deal i would put I, yourself I, in that category or i i think that uh pan proto psychism is mm -hmm. a, a relatively accurate way to describe it mm -hmm. um 
the idea that each, you know, what, whether mm -hmm. for, from a virtual particle to an atom, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't really matter, yep. um, has these proto-conscious, uh, mm -hmm. it, it itself is imbibed in the substrate. It yep. is substrate. So anyway, so that, that's sort of the, the idea. Um, and, you know, I should say, by the way, that maligned designations throughout history only, only re-empower themselves once they're claimed, um, you know, once they're reclaimed. And so I probably, probably will go ahead and end up claiming pan-protopsychism, though it's maligned. Um, the only way to really make that position is to, um, is to embrace it. Uh, head on because I think that other desig like like inventing a third designation to describe mm -hmm. pan protopsychism mm -hmm. sort of mm -hmm. reeks of uh, of politics. Mm -hmm. I think it's just sort of stronger to go ahead and um, and embrace it. So anyway, so yes, I'll claim pan protopsychism, which is long and clumsy. So I guess I still need to invent another term. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so yeah, so so you have these uh, magnetic zeros that are exerting right. a downward causal effect and drawing us, pulling us to them. Very importantly, also just to recap, these magnetic zeros, these zeros, if they're not magnetic for you, have each in their, uh, uh, their stack um, a, uh, a differential that I quantify by exponentials. And mm -hmm. I guess this is relatively helpful for anyone who wants to mess around with this model. So mm -hmm. each time you see these new equilibriums being formed, mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. attribute uh, that zero, that new zero, and by mm -hmm. the way, non-dynamism, I define as zero, zero differential, because mm -hmm. there is no zero, there is no actual mm -hmm. zero. So what zero actually is, is a collapse of dynamism, mm -hmm. um, as in, you know, entropy, entropy equilibrium, uh, mm -hmm. which would be a, a saturation as opposed to a compression, but where you have zero differential between the oscillations. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, each zero would be uh, differentiated from the other by way of um, ex exponentiation. And, mm -hmm. um, and the way that I, and this is something I'm still developing. That is not something I'm still developing. So there's mm -hmm. this sort of rhizomatic, each zero contains a zero preceding it. So for instance, and this is the part I'm still developing. If you, mm -hmm. let's say you define a system as beginning its oscillations, um, X number away from, total consolidation or some finalized consolidation, some okay. finalized yep. entropic equilibrium, whatever it is. Okay. You would assign uh, the, first, uh, the first zero, the first equilibrium, let's say uh, zero to the 256th power or something. Mm -hmm. um, and as it, uh, as, and this is something you can only do retroactively by the way, but mm -hmm. as it's zeros um, uh, increase, Mm -hmm. the countdown begins. So 255th to a zero to the, et cetera, et cetera. Now, mathematically, zero to any power equals zero. So we're safe, but we have a quantification method by which we can differentiate each new equilibrium. Mm -hmm. At zero to the zero, that, you know, fabled, let's yep. say, the best example I have is a Planck star. Mm -hmm. So a Planck okay. star or, creates a supernova event. Um, uh, or it's not a supernova, it's bigger, it's like a big bang, um, mm. where the total compression of matter to Planck length scale mm -hmm. um, immediately explodes mm. and immediately sort of recombusts. And uh, there's a rarefaction of vectors 
out across you know space time or whatever. Oh. So that's a very okay. uh, uh, an example. But I do think that I'm developing examples from my own life um, where you know we've experienced probably where we've become angrier or we started a resentment. We're getting angry. We're penting it up. We're angrier. We're not expressing. We're penting it up. We're not expressing. We're angry, angry. And all of a sudden we explode. Well, that would be <laughs> similar in that. I can, I can bat for that as a clinician. Uh, I, I, <laughs> no. So that would be similar where a compression an internal compression, we have, by the way, two things that are, are required for compression. So I can get into various operations of, of freak theory, which are for me the most interesting. So we have the model, but for me, again, getting granular about what creates what is really interesting to me. So when we have you know, compression, for instance, and we unpack compression, now compression in the context of anger, it's like, well, you need a membrane then because you can only compress something that has a, a sort of a, a limited membrane. Well, apparently I have some fucking anger capacity because I reach a breakpoint, what Marshall McLuhan would call a, a breakpoint, and he's mm -hmm. describing emergence too in that case, um, beyond which a qualitative shift happens and new oscillations have to emerge. And the qualitative shift is suddenly I'm willing to express myself and the new oscillations are all of that, you know, mm. whatever, rage or whatever it is. So anyway, there's some uh, membrane or capacity that I apparently have, and I don't know if it's a psychic field, I have no fucking clue, mm -hmm. but we reach breakpoints in our mm -hmm. lives beyond which sometimes, you know, there's an explosion. So anyhow, the zero to the zeroth power would represent um, an event mm. as opposed to an emergence, it would represent an event and an, the event would itself be an explosive mm. ra rarefaction of mm. everything that it had uh, compressed. Okay. So you could almost think of it as a um, either a distortion or you know uh, I'll, I still, I've yet to come up with a name that I you mm -hmm. know that is unique that really describes it. But yeah, right. Um, anyway, okay. Uh, that's so, that's that's more or less where I'm at in my freak theory development. There's other things, but you know I'll stop there because whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is a uh, uh, like all of our theories you know it's a work in progress you're you're, yeah. you're playing around with various elements you know you're, you're in the process of really seeing wait a minute what's an event what's a discrete event how do i understand this what's a collapse what's compression um so you know and the futility the, the fertility of it all is showing you can you can keep the base model and then have it grow in a wide variety of different dimensions okay yeah you know i should say one more thing so back to physics um, and, you know, this is not my full-blown forte. Again, I think of physics, uh, you know, I, I make it an art form, of one of many, but um, uh, I think you'll find this stuff interesting because I know you dabble as well. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things about freak theory, my freak theory, that I, as opposed to the freak model, that, I've, that I'm most interested in is that if we take these compressions and, and, and the condensation of relations and we mm -hmm. add a x-axis of time mm -hmm. and we dot time to be okay. constant for us, yep. so, so we make ourselves the, 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 the uh, observer, okay. what happens to the time relative to the condensations of oscillations? Mm. Suddenly, with co compression, and same for a Planck star, you know, the Planck star, it compresses and it explodes in its own time. But mm -hmm. from our point of view, this shit takes forever. Mm. So 
it's essentially negating time vis-a-vis -vis total relation, vis-a-vis -vis, um, uh, a density of relations, as Whitehead would say. Therefore, density of relations is a hyper-temporal state. And so when we start to talk about how does entanglement work? Well, I think the best clue is the word entanglement, that vis-a-vis -a, -vis a total relation, a state mm -hmm. of total relation or a state of density of relations, so mm -hmm. that consolidated state of oscillations or differentials, time, from our point of view, speeds up to, you know, mm. whatever, the speed of light mm -hmm. or, 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 I mean, sorry, slows down to almost a standstill, speeds up mm -hmm. to the speed of light for it and slows mm -hmm. down for us to, to, to a mm -hmm. sort of um, a standstill. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I find that interesting because, well, there's an, okay, in our, you know, I, I, are you familiar with um, immortality projects? What's his, uh, what's his fucking name? Um, uh, Denial of Death, Ernest Becker? Sure. Okay. So, um, you know, he calls uh, all sort of human paradigms uh, immortality, uh, immortality machines, I believe. Mm. Um, and... Um, Yes, we seek immortality by putting ourselves in culture, in cultural artifacts we will live on in relationship to those. Sure, uh, exactly. Compensating for um, our felt sense of mortality, absence, yeah. death, and what it would mean yes. for our psyche. And I think that, you know, fame has been our primary forever, our primary uh, portal to the immortal, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is how, you know, Achilles uh, wanted to achieve immortality, this is this is the Grecian way of sort of, and, and their it's their word, you know, um, and um, and the whole portal to the immortal is fame. Achilles mm. wants to do great on the battlefield so that he's famous enough that the muses will sing a three notes about him, a dirge mm. about him. Right. That's the fame. The fame isn't what he does on the battlefield. The fame is the dirge that's mm. sung about him because of what he did on the battlefield. That's how he gets his fame, right? Mm -hmm. And today, we don't need muses to sing about us. Mm -hmm. We sing about ourselves every time we tweet. Mm -hmm. The world has been completely mediated. So what does that mean? It offers us all portals to the immortal. And I think subconsciously, that's actually what's, you know, compelling us, compulsing us in this sort of age of media. But I want to mm -hmm. talk about the most, the most compressed and about informationally compressed in freak theory, in my, in my view, item uh, in the news sphere is the meme, right? Mm. So the meme is, and, and this is where I like getting freak theory into informational compression. There, it has so many, so yeah, I'm just talking about one aspect here, but yep. the meme for me, you know, you have, you have ideation, you compress that ideation yep. into language and language and you compress it into a, a meme or whatever. And all this information from, from the original inspiration, the, the moment, is sort of lost in an informational entropy sort of sense and when yep. it's compressed into these forms. Now, the reason we compress them is to transmit them, right? We yep. compress it to language so we can communicate. We compress it into a, it, we, when we press send, the internet literally compresses our bits so mm -hmm. that it can move it. Then yep. the meme itself in its interpretation is compressed mentally by translation to again, move it into the, into the subject. And mm -hmm. so we have this extreme hyperobject medium of the meme that is by definition, a compression of information in every way. 
And um, what's interesting about the meme to me is that talk about projections, the meme that, and whether we're talking about a flag or a mm -hmm. mascot or mm -hmm. a you know, whatever it is, that we can project ourselves, our sense of identity into these things mm -hmm. and thereby transmute and transfer our soul or our sense of being totally. into something immortal. We have here with the meme sort of the ultimate immortality machine. And, um, you know, and, and again, I think we've talked about this last time, but um, just the fact that you give it a name, you talk. Mm -hmm. The fact that mm -hmm. I gave it a name, three theory. Well, obviously we're trying to do something here, right? So, we're trying to, to maybe, we, we've created a sort of membrane. We're mm -hmm. compressing our ideas so that we can give them to people, right? And so, then those people are going to take them and compress them and give them to other people, we hope. Now, what's interesting about this is that the more they compress it, the more nuance the item loses. Yep. However, as you and I have talked about, we, don't, we hope that that compression is lossless as yes. opposed to love. And that somehow we can create compressions that are lossless and that they look like these sort of unanalyzable symptoms, like Lacanian sort of yep. like greased mm -hmm. up symptoms from a distance. But if you get inside of them, all the nuance is somehow preserved. It's so, like a zip file. <laughs> it's like a zip file. And so in freak theory, that would be sort of, we, we have the idea, we compress it, we've created a new equilibrium, we put a new, uh, more ideas, we compress it, and then we get to our, sort of like, you know, ideal state of compression, we try and pass it on, hoping that a rarefaction can happen where the accordion comes out and you end up seeing all, of, you can go through it and get into the nuance. And um, anyway, so yeah, you can also view this stuff, visualize this stuff that way. So, yeah, so the fucking, this is what the coin, like the architecture of coin is exactly what you just described in many ways. So like when you do this on the one side, the human identity function, you rotate that, then you activate Okay, now that, that serves as a compression for your self-consciousness, um, your human identity function, and then your place in the world. And then you flip the coin, and the, the me flower, it's an M-E-M-E -E flower portal, meme portal, because exactly what you said in relation to right. Oh, wow, uh, good, there you go, exactly. Yeah, so it's an, that, it's actually is a tunnel of meme that takes you through the fifth joint point and compresses <laughs> itself in that regard. It's exactly how it's designed. That's awesome. I love it. So where so in your so in your beam me up, Scotty, where does it take you? It where takes us into take the fifth dimension. It takes into the which is in the which is the singularity on the other hand. So in terms of another thing, the abstention that's calling us. So one of my most spiritual, empirical, spiritual, the most empirical spiritual reality, which is exactly all the shit that you're pointing to in many ways, is my relationship to the singularity. Okay. So the singularity which would be basically the compression of all of our culture, then down compressed into a flatline, then ultimately then affords the next floor. Okay. Yes. And, then, and that's what we, and that's when we, and that's the global brain moment. That's a global right? brain right. moment. Exactly. Yeah. And so I yeah. did the whole tree of knowledge thing, 1997 stone, boom, 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 and pop it out. And like, Oh my God. And then six months later, or whatever, a year later, whenever the fuck it's like, um, what the fuck are these things? Okay, what is matter? What is life? What is mind? What is culture? As these cones coming out of this? Um, and then it's like, God, well, definitely life-minding culture emerge out of as new, novel planes of frequency behavior, okay? As dimensions of complexification that are mediated by information processing and communication. That's it. So you get DNA, RNA cells, you get brains and animals, and you get language and people. 
Okay. And that's culture person, mental animal, cell life. And that's, and so each one of those is these networks. Well, then if you're like, well, if that's, if the key then is to lay down an information processing and communication network that affords a macro level um, exchange and dynamic, well, fuck the 20th century lays down the internet. It lays down artificial intelligence. We create our systems of information interface and the global sensorium is now getting laid down. So yeah. it's like we've laid down the nervous system just before the Cambrian explosion blew brains into the world and created animals. And just before our symbol hanging turned into propositional language and created culture, well, we now created the internet. And now the 21st century is going to be the portal through the internet. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that's going to be the fucking fifth joint point. And then the qu question is, can we thread the needle? Okay. Through the fifth joint point. Well, then to get to your point about like these macro magnetic zeros, I then learn about the whole singularity world. Okay. So the singularity world is checking the compression of inventions, how fast they actually happen and time between uh, inventions is shrinking. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the speed with which new shit's happening is happening faster and faster and faster. Okay. Exactly. So time is going to zero per each intervention. And as yeah. the limit function goes down to zero, a mathematical singularity is zero over one. That is the limit yeah. function goes to zero. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the, and then what you get is you get the, yeah, actual, and then you have one. You yeah. Have the, literally the number one. You have the, well, that's,